What, what were some of your definitions of hope? Well, what is hope? Anybody? Optimism. optimism. Okay, hope is optimism, being optimistic, just an optimistic outlook. Yeah. Faith. Huh? Faith. Faith, yeah. So explain. Hope, faith. Because uh, this will be a really redundant night because last week we spoke on faith. So if hope is faith, and then we'll be like the same thing. But no, actually, the, I'm not, it's actually really close because faith and hope are so... Thanks, bro. Does that mean I can be your best friend? You always are my best friend. Um, Michael Sandoval. Michael Sandoval. But, but faith and hope are really close together. In fact, I'm just going to fill in some of your notes because uh, when I hit it in the last service, uh, it just seemed out of place. What's the difference between faith and hope? And you have faith there. Uh, Faith is practicing in the present. Uh, It allows you to practice in the present where hope perseveres for the future. So for those, and you can skip to that slide. I'm going to mess you all up. But what what else is hope? We've got faith, which there is some connection there. Obviously, they seem to be two sides of the same coin. We've got optimism. It's just this outlook in life of how you see. Like, it's kind of like, you know, the glass. It's either, well, this is all empty, isn't it? Um, And this is mainly full. Oh, boy. Uh, But you see it. Hang on. is still mostly full. That's about all I got. But a pessimist would see this as way woefully empty, where an optimist would see it more than half full, and that, I guess that's really, as I believe myself to be a realist, um, and that I see how things really are. My wife calls me a pessimist. And I said, no, I'm just a realist. I just like to call things as they are. In fact, all pessimists define themselves as realists. So is it, is it a is it an outlook kind of just like, oh, things are going to get better? What else? Anything else? Something you can put your trust in. Something you can put your trust in? That's a, that's a really good definition. I like that. Something you can put your trust in. What else? Like openness and open to miracles. An openness. An openness to, hey, uh, to miracles or to uh, the possibility of the impossible, I guess, maybe. Another way to say it. Interesting. Yeah, all the way in the back. So the opposite of worry, a longing or desire, and, but it, and it's not anxious, it's not like anxious longing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Peace in my circumstances. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Peace in my circumstances. Peace in your circumstances. So hope is having peace no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel that there's always, and it's interesting because a pessimist would see, because that's a very optimistic way of looking at life, is the light at the end of the tunnel, and then the pessimist would say, well, maybe it's a carrot just being held, held out in front of you. You'll never get there. Sorry, that's the realist in me. I'm, sorry, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no, that's, but that's good. Here's what's interesting is we just don't think a lot about hope. And, and it, isn't it interesting that we have so many definitions for this? And here's what I find fascinating. The Christian invitation and experience is one that is supposed to be defined by hope. It's one that is the invitation for you and I to experience, but we 
so have such a hard time, I think, especially culturally, understanding hope. So we're going to spend some time unpacking that. And before we do, can I just pray for us? Because I believe we're treading on some sacred and holy ground as we do. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for the time to worship and just kind of sing uh, about who you are. And, and God, I just ask that you would grab a hold of our hearts and you would allow us to see you for who you are and that we would be a people, not just the, the Christian experience, but we would be a people who are defined by hope. In Jesus' name, amen. In Blink, How Will You Measure Life, there is this question uh, when we're talking around hope that actually will reveal to you exactly how you're uh, measuring your life. It's a diagnostic question. If you ask this question, because how you measure your life is shifting on circumstances sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes you measure life because of the relationships you're in. Sometimes you measure your life based on the jobs you have or the stage of life you're in. Uh, But if you ask this one question... Uh, And it will give you or reveal to you how you currently are measuring or quantifying or valuing your life. And here it is. There it is. It's already up there. What you are hoping in to fulfill you. What is it that you are hoping in to fulfill or complete or satisfy you? I mean, if you want to ask the shorthand of it, is what is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're longing for? What is it the thing that you look at and you you wonder, if only that happens, then I'll be. If only that relationship really works, then I'll be fulfilled, happy. Satisfied. If only I get that job promotion, or if only I make it through the season of life. And it's the question of, of what are you hoping in? And what is it the thing that you're hoping in for you personally to fulfill or satisfy you? And when you answer that question, you will discover how you are measuring, quantifying your life. That, that is the pursuit of where you're headed or aimed at. And we understand hope as such an important aspect of our life, not so much of when we have it per se, but when we don't. You ever notice that? See, hope is so valuable when you're hopeless. When you don't have it, when you look at circumstances, they feel impossible. When you look around you and you don't know which way is up. Because here's what's true. When hope is lost, you give up, you give in, or you get out. It it just, that's the way it is. If you don't have hope in a situation, or maybe hope in a relationship, it's like, okay, it's time to get out of this relationship. Uh, When you don't have hope uh, that you'll ever change, and that's really the sad reality is when you look around and you see suicide and you see that moment of that was the deepest moment of hopelessness. When you lose hope and hope is lost. See, this is such an important concept for us to get. I remember uh, in college, uh, early on in, in college, I, I had just this, this addiction to pornography. And as I'm trying to like study to learn how to 
follow, you know, really serve in ministry, it, I remember coming to the point where I began to think this way. This is who I am. I'll never change. And remember wrestling even with suicidal thoughts in my bed one night as I was just feeling this sense of hopelessness, of despair. And it's interesting because isn't it true that we, we look at these areas to fulfill us and then when we get to the end of them and they somehow leave us empty, it, we often feel that. Because you put all your eggs in that basket with that relationship and with, okay, the kid's turning out just right or with, you know, if only this job or school. And then you look at it and you're like, now what? Now What? Do I do? Well, let's talk about hope then. And in your notes, just kind of the big idea for the night is just simply this. The certainty of your hope is determined by the object of your hope. Now, it's said backwards in your notes because uh, my wife said this way is more clear. In your notes, it says the object of your hope determines the certainty of your hope. If, if hope is one of those things that's so powerful that the minute you lose it, you want to give up, give in, get out, then it's important that we know how to have or possess hope, right? And it's one of those things like, well, what is it? Is it optimistic? Look, like it's always half empty and I'm just kind of walking around and going, you know, it might be a little less full, but I'm still going to say, man, life's still good. Is there something deeper? Now, here's the interesting thing about hope. Hope is not so much hope itself, but what you're hoping in. Okay? The object of your hope determines the certainty, reliability of whether it's worthwhile to hope in. Let me give you, because I know we don't talk about this much. Let me give you a little illustration. This will help a little bit. I have a tennis ball, as you can see, and a book, as you can see. That's the end of my story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, I'm hoping that the tennis ball, when I throw it down, will bounce right back to me. So it just did. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Now, what if I had the same hope for the book? Hoping that the book will bounce right back to me. See, it's the object of your hope that determines the certainty of your hope. See, it's not that this is a bad book. It's a very good book. I just was hoping it to do something that it wasn't designed to do. I, you know, a tennis ball is designed to bounce back up and down. And I, it, it's like, oh, great. And I tell you what, I could hope until the cows come home. And I don't know when cows come home, but I think that's a long time away. Well, at least that's what I'm told. But no amount of hoping will ever cause this book to bounce. And like, they even start with the same letter B. And bounce starts with the letter B. Book, ball, bounce. Why doesn't it work? But we do that in life, don't we? Could it be that good things we put or hope in in ways that were never designed to function or operate. See, relationships are good things. They were never designed to fully fulfill you. Jobs are really good 
things. Success, cool. It just was never designed to bounce back up. See, the certainty of your hope is really determined by what you're hoping in. That's why when you ask the question, what is it you're hoping in? You'll begin to discover what you're measuring. And could it be that for some of us, we're hoping certain things that were never designed to fulfill, fulfill us? In the conversation on hope, then, we have this spectrum in our culture, don't we? We have this the spectrum of the way we use it a lot of times and you know we use the word well I hope this happens and we use it a lot like uh, our, the other word in English wish hope and wish are kind of similar and that's the way we think about hope right I, well I wish and you know and it really is this for some in some instances like this false hoping it, it reminds me of the girl in high school that I, I saw across the uh, the quad and I was like oh she's so pretty I just would hope you know wish to date her and, and I, I would I would think that but then I would never do anything about it and you know she didn't even know I existed as she walked across the quad and well that's false hope nothing's ever going to happen because I never did anything about it or, or the the time where you kind of, well, I hope I become a millionaire, or I hope someone gives me a free car, or I hope, you know, life works out great. And that's the way we use hope in our culture a lot, and it's wishing. And then you kind of move towards the center, and we don't define it hoping this way, but it's really a lot of the ways we are measuring life. It's it, it, a lot of the ways we seek to find fulfillment, seek to be satisfied, and it's, whether it's your family, your future, your career, your friends, your success. But then if you keep going, if you keep moving, you begin to fall into how the Bible defines hope. Because it's very different than how you and I define hope. Hope is not defined by wishing or like, ah, maybe possibly. Hope in the Bible is never a possibility. It is always a certainty. It is always the, this, I, I put my hope in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory, that this is a reality. Well, let me, let me see, show you how um, that, uh, the author of Hebrews says it. Uh, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Don't waver in this hope that you have. Here's why. For he who promised is faithful. Back to the object, the object of your hope. Not that you have hope, not just this outlook of like life's kind of grand and I'm just always going to look at it, but there is an object of your hope that is founded and because it's certain, you can have hope or certainty. We do this with friends all the time, uh, that some people you know and the way they say things, uh, you know, like you ask them to do something, you know, there's not a chance in hell they're going to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going like, okay, I just asked them to do it, but the reality is, is they're not going to show up. And then there's other people, and so you're at the hope wishing side. I hope, I really hope they do. And then there's other people you ask to do something, and you go, hey, could you do this? And you know they're going to be there early. You know that when you asked them to do it and they said yes, you knew it was already as good as done. 
I play volleyball from time to time, and uh, we play with my brother and a group of friends over in Santa Cruz. We try to play on Fridays, and as we're doing this, there's one guy uh, that plays that we hope he shows up, but it's on the wishing side. I mean, you ever had that when you're trying to plan something? I mean, it's just one of those things where we literally got to the point where we tell him 45 minutes to an hour earlier than when we're actually playing to get him to try to show up on time, and he'll still be late. I mean, a great guy, fun guy, great volleyball player, lots of fun to be around, but when he says, oh, yeah, I'm in, like, well... But then my brother, on the other hand, when he says, hey, let's play, here's what I know. I know he'll be there five to ten minutes early every time, be securing a court for us, getting it ready to go. That when he says it, it's already done. See, the hope in the Bible is not based on any kind of subjective wish. It's simply this. The God of the universe said it. And so you can take it to the bank. It's already done. See, that's hope. That, that's an anchor in the midst of storms. That's the confidence and clarity of he who promised is faithful. I got to tell you, God's got a pretty good track record so far. So when we're called to be a community that hopes, we're called to be a community that says, yeah, I, I don't fully see the end picture all the way, but God said it, and that's good enough for me because he's got a great track record right now with me. And so I already know it's as good as done, and it is a foundation for you to move forward in, not simply going, well, I kind of hope it works out. How flimsy is that? Come on. Or an outlook like, well, life's always rosy, you know, and woohoo! My dog died. Yay! And yet the invitation to you and I is let us hold unswervingly. Let us, let us not move from the hope that we profess because he who promised is faithful. Well, let me talk about, for if I can take a few minutes, what did he promise? What did he promise you and I? And this is the promise of hope. If you got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, starts off this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Justified literally means just as if I never sinned. Therefore, since God's outlook on us, declaration of who you are, is that you have been made right. Regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, he says, through faith, you are declared righteous. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
See, you, you know the thing you're hoping for points to something much deeper in you than you could ever dream or imagine. Those, those deep longings, that desire for whether, whether it's that relationship to satisfy, it's pointing to something much deeper because you, you notice if you've been around enough that those things don't actually satisfy, do they? Those things that you put your hope in, you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to college and it's going to be party life and woo, it's going to be great. And then you wake up like three years later and go, what did I do? And then, then you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to put my time in my career and that's going to really satisfy and fulfill. And you're like, okay, woo. And then you're like going, man, nobody even cares about this career. And I mean, it's just basically a big waste of time, except I got to pay for now a house that I'm paying for. And then you're like, well, what about a family? And you put your time and energy and like, maybe that'll fulfill or satisfy. Could it be that none of those things satisfy? because they're pointing to something much deeper inside of you. That you and I were designed in a way that only the God of the universe could fulfill. In the way that only the God of the universe could satisfy. And that you notice a brokenness of your soul and you're going, maybe that'll fix it. Maybe that'll fix it. He says, no, no, no. You were designed for a relationship with the God of the universe to have peace. See, that's, that's the promise of hope. He goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul and Colossians would say this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's interesting is two chapters earlier in Romans 3, he says this, for we all have sinned. We've all blown it. We all haven't even kept our own standard, what we think is right, let alone God's standard, and fall short of the glory of God, that there's this deep, innate desire to be in relationship with God. In fact, it's deeper than that. It's not even desire. It is how you are designed. And I promise you, you can keep searching until you finally get to the point of going, God, will you come into my life? I love how this reality is that that even when you were unlovely, or unlikable, even when you didn't like you. You remember those days? Maybe it's this moment, you know, you've, you're like, I don't even like me right now. God loved you. Even when you were running from God, he was running towards you. Isn't that an amazing thought? Because sometimes we think about God and the promise is hope, is the good news. That's really what gospel means, is good news. The good news is that that deep desire can actually be satisfied and you don't have to be left wanting. That deep brokenness of the soul can be healed. Listen to what he says a little bit. It's not in your notes, but it's just a couple verses down in verse, uh, chapter 5. You've got your Bible. It's verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. 
think about a love that says, even when you don't like you, I love you to the point of sending my own son for you. That is the promise of hope, of relationship with the God of the universe, with experiencing peace and wholeness. That is the promise of hope. See, isn't it amazing that at your very worst and at my very worst, God gave his very best. See, I, I, don't, I know I talk about my kids every so often. I got three small kids. Uh, and I, I just got to tell you, if we were going back to the old kind of Mighty Mouse deal, anybody ever watch Mighty Mouse besides me? Okay, a few of you, thank you very much. Um, and and you, if, I don't know if you ever remember about Mighty Mouse, but there's always a damsel in distress that was tied up on the uh, train tracks. Uh, and, and if one of my kids was tied up on the train tracks and the train's coming by, and you're tied up on the train tracks next to him, now how you got there, I have no idea. But... <laughs> And I only had time to save one of you. You are dead every single time. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I, I, mean I, I love you, but, but I, I choose my kids every single time. There's just not even a doubt. I don't, even, I don't even feel guilty about it, honestly. You know, I'm just like, well, it sucks to be you, but, you know, my daughter's sitting next to you, obviously. And, and God says, no, no, I love you so much. Do not miss this because this is the hope of glory. The promise of Jesus is that I love you so much that I would give my only son for you to take your place on the cross, to take your shame and your punishment and say, I want to be with you so badly that I wouldn't let anything hold that back. And the only thing you have to do is simply respond. Where you go, God, I need you. I'm tired of searching for things to satisfy and leave me empty. Will you come into my life? I'm putting my hope in Jesus. And it would be Christ in me that you would fill me. That the aching places of my heart, the brokenness, it would be Christ in me, the hope of glory, the certainty of what you said. And you do. And I'd invite you, if you've never received Christ as your sa- Savior, I would plead with you that you would do that tonight, that you would not allow a moment to pass where you would just keep going through searching for something to try to satisfy, where you would step into the promise of hope. And it's so simple. It's not like a prayer or anything like that. It's just a conversation with God where you say, God, I'm tired of doing it my own way. I desperately need you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Will you come into my life and make me new? That's it. In fact, if that's where you're at, I invite you to just ignore the rest of tonight and just talk to Jesus. And you can experience not wishing, but certainty, hope, hope. Well, it goes on from there, because I think what's amazing is when you begin to embrace hope, not wishing optimism, hope, you begin to see your circumstances a little bit differently. And you have a shift in perspective. And it's the perspective of hope. Do you notice what he said? He said, not only so, we also rejoice 
in our suffering. Like, seriously? It's amazing that Paul wrote this. He's like, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And then he also followed that line up and it doesn't get quoted near as much. We're like, yes, that sounds great. And I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. Because you can look at your present moments and see what God is up to and see the process of what he's forming and creating. It says, not only so, we also rejoice in our suffering because what? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's interesting, that word suffering literally is, comes from the root word where we have, uh, you know, the, the people that used to stomp wines to mash them for, uh, you know, stomp grapes, that is, to mash them for wine. It's just that pressure to squashing out, that just pushing in to just destroy. And then the word perseverance is this interesting word. It's hupo meno. Hupo under, meno to remain. It says in the midst of that pressure, in the midst of the times where it feels hopeless, in the midst where you don't know what's going on, it says hupo meno, would you remain, would you persevere because I am forming in you someone that you long to be and who you're made to be and, and it won't happen unless you persevere. Remain under. You can see perspectively that you go, okay, suffering. I, it's not that I like it. It's not that I want it, but I can see what God is doing. It's not that he even caused it, but he says, you know what? I promise you, I will not waste your pain. It reminds me of what James said. James 1, I think 2 or 3. Consider it all joy when you face troubles of many kind, or trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, hupomeno again, so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We can go, I, it's not even that I like this, but you know what, I've learned this. Don't question in the darkness what God has clearly shown you in the light. And as you head into that time of suffering, you go, you know what? Already I am clinging to hope. And there's moments in your life where that's all you can do. And you go, you know what? God has clearly shown this in the light. And so when I'm in the dark place, all I can do is cling. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 63, my soul clings to you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And you just go, God, I've, the way I'm persevering is I, it's not pretty, it's not easy, and I'm real honest, and you know, that's what I love about the Psalms. They were angry sometimes. You know, David was raw with God, but at the end of the day, he said, my hope is in you. You can have this shift of perspective, and I've got to tell you, generation, there's a generation here, we have to learn how to suffer well. I know that's not popular. I know that's not fun. You're like, ooh, God, I came to church tonight. But there's something deep and rich that you are missing out because we take the easy road. Because we give up and we give in and we get out. He says, not only so, we rejoice in our suffering. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character is to become the person you were designed to be. And real honestly, the person you deeply long to become. 
And out of that, you actually experience hope. Hope that's tested. Hope that is certain and confident because you have a God that saw you through it. Not because it's just like, well, yeah. But what about now? You have the promise of hope, the perspective of hope, and then the power of hope. I love what he says. He says, and hope does not disappoint us. Literally, it means it won't put you to shame. This kind of hope, not wishing that like, I hope I, you know, a million dollars is found in my backyard. No, no, no. This hope that's founded on the promises of God and what he said he would do, he says it will not put you to shame. It will not disappoint you. It will not leave you empty-handed. And not because he'll fix everything. Not because he'll make everything better and woohoo. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And because he has already answered the deepest longing of your soul, and that is himself. What is it you're hoping in? I mean, seriously, hoping in. To fulfill you. I think this is one of those that's easier said than done, obviously. But I wanted you to hear from someone in the middle. Someone that is in the process, that is really, from all outward circumstance, looks hopeless. And how they are experiencing Christ and them, the hope. Of glory, that this isn't just wishful thinking, but it is a reality of God moving. Christina, would you come on up and just share? And can we welcome her? Go ahead and grab a seat. First of all, would you tell people um, a little bit about you, you know, where you're from, and uh, all those sort of things, and then, then tell tell them kind of the news you got a little while ago. Okay. Uh, my name's Christina. Um, I'm from San Jose. And uh, um, I guess I'll just start. Um, two years ago, um, I started having these weird back pains at my internship and stomach pains. And um, I had them for about a year before I actually went to a doctor for it. But um, for the I went to a couple of like clinics, and they said, oh, it's probably an ulcer. Take some medicine for it, and it'll get better. Um, and then last March, I was um, basically three months engaged, and it was my last quarter in school. And um, the ulcer was getting worse, and the doctor said, well, the medications don't seem to be working. Um, like, we need to give you surgery. And in that surgery, I found out I had stage four stomach cancer, and that's not curable. Um, and so, yeah, so for the last year and a half, I've been getting treatments, and well, I got married. And, uh, and yeah, I don't really know how much time I have left. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I thought last year would be my last birthday, and, um, and I didn't even think I would be here now, so. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, as we talked earlier, was... Um, uh, you were just talking about what you're learning 
and just the difference between, uh, and this whole concept of hope and hope later, but also hope now. And that seems kind of like an oxymoron of going like, okay, the Christian hope later, and but the significance and realness of that, of heaven, but then what is the hope now that you also have? So we explain kind of what are you learning right now? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning of all this, I, um, me and my husband chose to kind of say, you know, God, your will be done. You know, um, like whatever happens, like this is in your will and it's in your plan and it'll be good. And I think that worked out for a while. And we just said, you know, if anything happens, the worst that could happen is I go to heaven. Um, and, you know, that that hope for the future oftentimes, I mean, that keeps me from, you know, breaking down a lot of times because I know I have heaven ahead of me. But... Um, Obviously, I've been through this for about a year and a half now, and with my chemo treatments and um, with getting CT scans that are just getting worse and worse, and just hearing all these bad news, um, it's hard to keep going and keep living. It's it's almost sometimes I just want to give up and say, God, why don't you just take me? Why are you taking so long to take me? I mean, this whole time you've given me no hope for we're living long. Why are you dragging out my life here? I've been thinking about death almost all the time. Just let me go, please. Um, so I think just recently, I've started to learn about having hope for now and having <clears throat> hope that God will use my situation now. Um, I think your your sermon two sermons ago um, on the whole introduction of Blink, um, you talked about how. Um, that verse in Corinthians where he said, um, when, we ha- when we are a child, we thought like a child, we reason like a child. He talked about how when we're children, we think a time is infinite and that um, all of our stuff is in mind. But obviously in the last year and a half, times has become so finite for me and so um, not mine anymore that, I mean, when I heard that, it was just a, such a clear depiction of, what's been happening, that I just got angry. Like, why do I have to go through all this? Why do I have to become an adult so quickly? All I wanted to do was have kids. All I wanted to do was um, be married to my husband for more than a couple years. Um, And I wanted to pursue my career. I mean, I had just graduated. I just went through all those years of schooling and and amounted to this. yeah, I think what God's been teaching me, and I'm still definitely learning it because, I mean, every day I have to wake up and make the decision to say, you know, I'm going to make the most of today. I'm going to say I love you to Kirk, and I want it to, I want to mean it because it might be my last day, or I want to call up a friend and have her, have her or him over for lunch and inspire his day. I mean, I. It just disgusts me to think about if I wasted a day. Um, I mean, that's my life right there, you know, a day. Um, yeah. And as we talked, it was cool. After that first night of Blink, you really had a burden to share and kind of challenge us as a community in living differently as a result. Psalm 90 uh, says, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, and literally, you have to number your days in such a way of, do I have days, do I have weeks or months? And as a result, 
you've you've lived wisely uh, in many ways, and a, a part of that character of that we were talking about. I've just watched God do some amazing things of who who He's creating you to be. But what do you want to really challenge us with as a community? Yeah, um, I guess I wanted to share this little um, story. Um, so earlier this year. Um, I my Stanford. I go to Stanford for my treatment, um, and they pair us up with um, people that are similar to us um, that have similar cases. And this one girl, she was uh, 25, so just a couple years older than me, and she also had stage four stomach cancer. And I got to know her a little bit and saw her a few times. Um, but then within a month, about a month and a half with, of me getting to know her, she passed away, and that was so difficult for me. I just um, had the hardest time um, dealing with that. Um, but one thing that came out of it and what, how, God taught me, how God taught me through that was um, to be actually angry at the things that I, I really wanted. Um, I mean, for, I, like I said earlier, um, we kind of chose to say, God, your will be done all the time. And I got so tiring of just saying, your will be done, and because for me it was, I was trying to be the strong Christian, you know, the strong Christian girl of saying, you know what, even though I have cancer, God's will be done, and I will, everything will be okay because I've God on my side. But really, I was suppressing my feelings and saying, it's okay that I don't have kids, it's okay that I don't get to have a long marriage because I'm not worth those things. But um, I've really had to make the decision that God sees me as worth it, and that he want, not only can he heal me, but he wants to heal me, and he wants to, me to have a good life, a good, in, in, in his terms. And um, I guess my challenge would be is to, for you to wake up every morning with that decision that God has a purpose for you, and, that, and a specific purpose for you that um, every day, I mean, he, let you, he lets you wake up in the morning for a specific reason. Um, yeah. Thanks. It it brings it home in a different way, doesn't it? Because we talk about this, and, and the thing is, hope is one of those realities that it has to be the anchor of our soul to sustain us through suffering. And it's one that it's not like, okay, this is easy. And that's what I wanted to hear is someone in process that's wrestling, that's still on the journey and you're seeing God shape and change and work uh, and, and be in process. And part of it too is for us as a community to surround her and her husband and, and just love and simply be the hands of feet uh, and of Jesus to her as well. And so would you stand and let me just pray if it's okay for you uh, as we close. And... And if you're okay with this, if you wouldn't mind just in kind of agreeing with me, just kind of raise your hands out towards Christina uh, as we pray. And you can go ahead and turn the lights down up top. That would be nice, guys. Um, Jesus, um, thank you that in the midst of all this, and it's not a trite thing to say, but it is you in us. That to live is Christ. It's all about you. This life is all about you. And as Paul said, to die is a gain because we get to be with you. And, and I pray, one, just real selfishly and for us as a community, that you would heal Christina. 
that you would guard and protect and allow uh, her and Kirk just to enjoy their marriage and their relationship. And God, as a community, we would be surrounding them and be your hands and feet to them in real ways. And and I pray, God, it would be a wake-up call for us to live fully now, that we would awaken this generation. In Jesus' name, amen.